Welcome to the AudioCraft Conference Series. I'm Kate Montague. This podcast is of our collaborative storytelling session from the day, which was a panel discussion between some of our community radio heroes. It included Queen G, who's a radio producer and hip-hop artist and has worked on a heap of storytelling projects, including a Radio Skid Row program that she produces in collaboration with homeless people at the Matthew Talbot Hostel. Then there was Gavin Ivey, who's the program manager at Query Radio. He's worked as a producer, presenter and sound engineer for the last 24 years. One of his recent projects has been documenting stories of Aboriginal people who are living with HIV. And then Maddie McFarlane is an audio creative and host of Homebrew on PBS in Melbourne. In 2014, Maddie worked on a storytelling project in collaboration with the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. The final documentary won the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia Award for Features and Docos. The panel was moderated by Jordana Caputo. She's a producer, journalist and the National Training Manager at the Community Media Training Organisation, the CMTO. To start off with, Geordie played some clips from Queen G's There Goes the Neighbourhood series. This is a documentary project about gentrification in inner city Sydney. And there's a language warning on this one. Yarrow Nation. In my neighbourhood. 38 Queens. In my neighbourhood. Bloody awesome. In my neighbourhood. Gentrification. In my neighbourhood. Keeps the corner. In my neighbourhood. The yuppies. In my neighbourhood. Gentrification. 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 Redford. This is my country, my father's land, my grandmother's land, my great-great-grandmother's land, and my great-great-great-grandfather took Black's and Wentworth and Lawson through the Blue Mountains. This is my country. Yeah, and everyone else here is a refugee. Welcome to my country. Treat it with respect. A very pleasant lifestyle that wasn't there before, I guess. It wasn't there before, I guess. Marrickville. 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 Okay, uh, well, my name is Anna. I've lived in Marrickville since 1986, I think. My name is Bill. I lived 35 years... And uh, I was living uh, Livingston Row. 50 years, more than 50 years. I, I, I come in 62. My name is Beth. I've lived in Marrickville since 1978. Marrickville, there was the Greek city. All the Greek people, when they come by ship, they come to Marrickville because from here they find the job easy, very easy these days. And it has changed a lot. My biggest pet peeve, and it could be my fault, I'm not quite sure, is now I'm out of the market of buying any property in Marrickville. The only thing, the Marrickville that time was perfect, but now it's not the same. Because there come too many nationalities, different cultures, you know, different. And the, all the Greeks left from here, that's all. The price is, is maybe 100% more, 100%. In our block of units, I think it reflected you know, pretty much the whole area. So in 24 units, I remember there were Hungarians, there were Filipinos, Vietnamese, us, we're Tongan, Portuguese and Angolan, you know. So we had Egyptian, you know, I could go on Turkish. We, it was so, you know, it was so multicultural, so diverse. And what was great being a kid was that, you know, you're all in each other's houses eating different food. Okay, so I really love that little 
crunch on the apple at the end there. Um, so Queen G, so that was a, a, um, a compilation of two of the pieces that she did. One was about Redfern and one was about Marrickville. Um, your approach to Fuck Off Yuppies, which was then renamed to There Goes the Neighbourhood, so as not to offend, um, was to try and get a true audio representation of two very specific locations, Marrickville and Redfern. Can you tell us a bit about the personal challenges you faced in collecting and compiling that audio? It's very rich audio. Um, well, to be honest with you, when I first um, got introduced to the whole idea of this project, I didn't understand what gentrification was. I, and when I say like, I know you know what it is, but understanding and knowing something are two different things. So um, thank you for that, Gav. Um, yeah, it wasn't until I started to... It was the first day when I went to Redfern. I actually started off with Redfern. Um, and before I continue going on about that, I've got to give credit to Tara Muhue, um, who started a lot of... Um, she's also from Radio Skid Row. She started collecting a lot of the audio and interviewing people. So I was kind of, you know, had all these audio pieces that from people I didn't interview, I didn't research or anything, and kind of had to listen to that. And, and that's another reason why I didn't understand. But um, at the time, the Redfern Aboriginal Tent Embassy had just um, set up probably a month after I'd got there. And when I went there and sat down with Aunt Jenny and Uncle um, Lyle, that's when... You know, dawn would be like, wow, you know, is this what's happening? I had no idea. I think I'd, oh yeah, I just had a baby. That's why I'd been kind of off the grid for a while. So I didn't know what was going on. I didn't even know about the embassy. You know, I didn't really understand. Like I hadn't really walked around Marrickville for a while. I did notice a lot of differences in Newtown. But um, yeah, so I think the biggest challenge was understanding what I was doing and what I was talking about. Where am I going with this? But it wasn't until, you know, I had that opportunity to sit down with these two great elders. Um, and that's when it put into perspective. And I became very passionate about um, this project and, you know, making sure people get to hear how important, you know, people's, the areas are to these people. That it's not just somewhere where someone grew up and now they're, you know, somewhere else. Like it was, it's really affected a lot of people. Um, and even myself, you know, I love the inner west, you know, I love the area. I didn't grow up there, but... You know, someone that, um, from because of Radio Skidro, you know, I started hanging around in the area. I could understand, you know, how um, much of an effect gentrification has on people. And just, you know, it's really wrong, um, you know, that people have, we get forced to, you know, relocate when they don't want to. So was there sometimes some emotional points in this story for you that you were, you felt a bit overwhelmed at all? Um, yeah, that... Um, particular one with the the Marrickville when you hear you know people um, like the Greek guys and the Vietnamese um, girl um, like all those guys who can't you know continue growing up in that area and or can't buy anything um, and if you're lucky you have a family member that owns a property there you're lucky but um, I mean just in general for everyone anyone who wants to buy property in Sydney it's just that you know like quite hot you know broken-hearted for everyone and even myself that you know the idea of buying something is unless you know you have a parent or you just come from a rich family or you're a second or third home buyer just you know it's not a reality for us and I think it's important to own a property so I wish when I was growing up um, that's something that somebody people would tell me is that you know save and get buy a place get a mortgage you know because Paying rent for the rest of your life is really messed up. <laughs> it's, it's the like it's the fate of all the Sydney siders. Um, so, Queen, um, you talked about how Tara helped you collect some of that audio. In terms of some of the audio that you went and collected, how was that process going in and actually like sticking a mic in people's faces? I'm um, getting the vox pops from people like walking on the street was, you know, for anyone you know how you, when you do that, it's you know quite intimidating and stuff. But a lot of the, I found that people didn't understand like. When you kind of ask the question, when I ask the questions, they'll be like, what's wrong with you? So what? You know, they'll made, made you feel like, you know, what are you talking about? There's no such thing as gentrification. There's nothing wrong with people moving in. There's nothing wrong with all these high rises. You know, like a lot of people, um, you know, kind of gave those answers like, what are you talking about? Well, they didn't, again, understanding. I guess they didn't understand uh, where we were trying to get. But, um, yeah, that was probably the hardest part was talking to the residents or the everyday person that's walking down the street because those are the people you really want to talk to, yeah. So, yeah, so you kind of had to dig a bit deeper to find some of those stories. Yeah. 
Um, so moving on from that one, you're currently working on another project at the moment with the Matthew Talbot Hostel, um, where a group of people experiencing homelessness and other challenges, they're creating a weekly broadcast um, and podcast on Radio Skid Row. And I know from just from working on the training side that it can be quite challenging. Um, there's a lot of volunteers that hours that go into it. So why do you do it, Queen? I don't know. I think I'm passionate. I didn't really know. Again, it's good when you go somewhere you don't know anything because then you find out and you decide from there. But um, when I first stepped foot into um, that era, Woolamaloo, Matthew Talbot, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know where I was going. But it was, you know, quite a hectic scene if you're not used to, um, you know, seeing people who have, you know, either just come from jail or, you know, have um, you know, had some kind of hard life, but I've learned a lot um, from the. They're all older than me too, so I have a lot of respect for everyone there, and um, I learn a lot from them. They're very intelligent people, and never underestimate, you know, someone that you walk by the street that's homeless. Like they've actually had a great life. Some people just choose to live that way because they're beating the system. That's the way I see it. That's another thing I've learned is, you know, a lot of people that I've met in that um, within this is, you know, they're living happy. And they're not unhappy that they're homeless or that they don't have a car and all the material things in life. So I think, um, yeah, it's a passion that I have and I enjoy it and I learn a lot. And, yeah, I put in extra hours because I see how they're passionate and how much, you know, they've got really great ideas and, you know, just assisting them in, you know, putting it together. Um, yeah, it's just pa once you're passionate about something, I think that's probably something everyone in this room shares when it comes to... Uh, audio, radio, podcasting thing is, you know, having a passion. Mm. And the program's called Streetline. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what's on the show? Everything and really important stuff. Like I, I wish this show was a TV program because, um, you know, like they look at a lot of social injustice issues, stuff that's happening within the Indigenous communities, um, things around the basics cards, um, law, uh, something that we should all know something about. I'm talking about law. Uh, music, um, one of the guys, Gary, is great, um, you know, he's got really good taste in music. Uh, what else? Um, oh, yeah, there's the Wednesday Whinge um, with Mina and, you know, everything that we just want to whinge about, you know, you can definitely listen to Mina and be like, yeah, yeah, that's right, that is messed up. So, yeah, she does a really good whinge. I think it's important to whinge. Um, yeah, just a mix of uh, and what's on, things that are happening in Sydney, like you'd be amazed about how much stuff is happening, um, you know, when you hear it from someone else. And just not the regular, you know, mainstream events, but, you know, in all kinds of areas, um, yeah, of what's happening. So, And that show's on, on Wednesday. I'll give it a plug. Yeah. From <laughs> 12 to 2 p.m. You should listen. It's a really good show, like, honestly. Not because I know them or anything, but I think it's a great show on um, 88.9 FM on Skid Row. And you, it's up online as well. Yeah, on radioskidrow.org. You can stream it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really great example of a program where um, these uh, people from Matthew Talbot Hostel, most of them didn't have any radio-making skills whatsoever. They've come together now doing this really incredible weekly show that's coming straight from them. They pretty much run the entire thing, right? Yeah, and just to mention as well, they actually were pre-recording from the Matthew Talbot. That's how we started. Everything was pre-recorded. Um, so the idea of live radio, they didn't experience that for a long time. Um, so, yeah, everything, again, pre-record, putting it online, podcasting it. Um, and then when they got into the studio, it's just magnificent. If you see how much, you know, it's changed, you know, how they do things. And somebody that will say, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. This is hard. I'm not technical. I'm not this. You know, everybody's paneling now and everybody um, can, you know, edit and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's really nice to see going from being so nervous and unsure and even almost ready to walk out the door to dedicating themselves weekly to produce a program. Yeah. And I think the other thing about that, Queen, is that you're not present in that show. No. I walked out said no. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're there with someone you're helping or training, they become reliant and, you know, they're comfortable. So when you make someone uncomfortable, that's when they really come out of the show. Totally. I love throwing people in the deep end. It's one of my favourite things. We'll have time for um, questions for Queen G at the end, but I thought we'll just move on to um, Gavin now. Um, Gav, works <laughs> Gav works daily with the Sydney Indigenous community at Koori Radio, just down the street here. Um, he might show you that if he's going. He's going down there later, aren't you? 
Yep. <laughs> but um, this story that he's doing has taken on him on a bit of a longer journey. We're going to hear a small excerpt now of one of the interviews from Gav's feature that he's making. It has a working title of Brothers and Sisters Living with HIV and Excelling. So I'm just going to play that for you now. I was um, diagnosed back in, I think it was 2000. Um, back then we used to have HIV tests every three months which is the standard process and I was must have been January or something got the test done um, came my parents were down just before Christmas and they said you know dad was in hospital and he had just got diagnosed with lung cancer and I remember mum talking to me be careful don't get any nasty little diseases and then it came to it was the end of March had a blood blood test and it was um, you're positive so with that, the story goes that basically I went white as a ghost sort of dropped to the floor. But I had the instinct I knew. And then I, they had me in there for about half an hour. And when I walked out, it was good because I was going to Tuttle Square Clinic and our doctors, nurses and the staff said, here's our private numbers, you need anything. So I left the um, surgery, went and got high that night, um, got off my face. And that was, again, what was that, 15 years back? But just after I, a week after I got diagnosed, my father had died, passed away. So that was like a double whammy. So I guess the way I addressed it was get off my face but then go and threw myself straight into work. The strength of the Indigenous positive community is the brotherhood and sisterhood that we have with each other and connections that we have made. It's like a second family where we can go and talk and just be ourselves and know that we've got other people with the same conditions who understand where we have to come from. In general life, while I might be the one with the disease, I'm the one that's consoling everyone else. And the retreat allows me not to console other people and just be me, which I find is, is a beautiful thing. And that's our strength, and I think that is our passion and we care. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Gavin, that story, you've immersed yourself completely in that story that you're working on with ACON's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander project by attending the Nawali Jardi retreat for people living with HIV. Can you tell us a little bit about how that impacted on the way you went to, on to tell the story? Um, firstly, I think making that connection, going away on a retreat with people or your talent, your community. Um, and like Geordie said, immersing yourself within the community and doing the workshops they're doing, sleeping, eating, uh, laughing, crying, dancing and all of that. Really, you, you're able to make a connection with the person you're interviewing. And what I loved about this interview just then, that's the first time I've heard it in a room and... Just being able to know that Tim, who, who was speaking, um, thinking also that he doesn't get out much because of his um, condition and of the medications that he's on, up and down and all of that. I just got a text from him today because he was supposed to be involved in the Mardi Gras First Australians float, but he can't make it, which again goes to show that what I love about being able to connect and share a story as I am with Tim it allows him to have a voice where usually he wouldn't be heard because more or less he's not that active in the community or, you know, he might be shy, he might be having a bad time. And just being able to share, um, I guess, in terms of this radio feature, um, not just their story about what no one hears about, but also their strength and their um, passion and their commitment to, um, I guess, being involved in the community as positive leaders, which the story is about, and their journey in, um, I guess, from diagnosis to the journey of dealing with that, coping with that, growing with that, loving that, owning that, and then going out, being trained, um, going to positive leadership development programs, and then going out to the community and, you know, connecting with the community in that sense. In terms of the um, audio and the feature, it also allows them to connect with community through community radio as well. 
Yeah. So that's great, Gav. <laughs> Gav, um, so you went along to the retreat. You spent a whole weekend up there. What was that experience like in actually, you know, getting them to talk and, and putting the microphone in front of their faces? Like, how did you build up to that? Um, with most of the guys and one girl that's on the retreat, I was working with Curry Radio last year and there was um, – I was – just more or less helping out production with the um, outside broadcast and at, at their pre and pre conference international indigenous HIV conference or the pre conference to the major conference in Melbourne. So I got to hear a little bit about their their story and um, get to meet them and they took me in knowing that I'm pretty crazy and I like to um, hear stories and share stories. And through that, so it's been a year of getting to know Tim as well and going out on the retreat with the group, I just kind of, they knew I was at Curry Radio, so I did have like audio equipment and all of that and I let them know that I would like to record some stories. And Tim, I was amazed, just totally opened up. In terms of getting the recording, um, it was just by chance after one session, I said, oh, let's go and do a quick interview, five, ten minutes, and so he yarned for about 25 minutes but just the um intimates intimacy of that moment it was just the zoom recorder tim in his bedroom and me and just talking and i don't know if you can hear it but just his breath and all of that as well like it's just so i'm just so overcome with love for people that are open to sharing such um intimate stories that usually it's not a very safe world to share these kind of stories and in saying that I mean it gives strength to other people going through similar or different situations as well. Thanks Gav. Um, That's still a work in progress? Yep I've got to record the um, narrator. There's three people involved. There's Tim, there's Michelle who's one of the only voices for um, Aboriginal HIV positive people, uh, women so it's really nice to have Tim a male and Michelle a female and as well as Stephen who's the Aboriginal liaison officer I think at Aboriginal Project Acon and he's going to be the narrator because he's got this like deep voice and he's he's just out there so it's going to be really nice um and just mixing it with some songs and just following their story it's it's amazing and once again you've sort of taken yourself out of it You've taken yourself out of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I've worked in radio for so long, I used, I used to do a lot of talking on radio. Yeah, so it's, it's nice to actually step back. And what, what I like about that is, I was thinking listening to Queen, gee, um, it's like every story that you give an opportunity to be heard, you know there's so many, many more that are going unheard. And it's about this, this one for me, it's just... it's. It's a really important story to be told, but they're also such cool people as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll get some comments at the end too about that story and, and some other ideas that you might have. Um, I wanted to just play another short excerpt from Tim's interview, which I just think really spoke to this idea of collaborative storytelling and particularly its impact on the wider community. So storytelling, I guess, in general as, as something that's very important. I believe in peace, tranquility, and one of my favourite words is equilibrium, which is really another word for balance. I'm on DSP, so I really don't look at where do I want to be in five years or ten years. What I want want is for Aboriginal people to take the power back to be able to make decisions about their lives, to empower themselves and make the best decisions with the information that they've got, whether that's regarding HIV, mental health, housing, anything like that. If you can be, if my story can make you stop and think, yep, I can have a better life because of that, I don't want to make the same mistakes as Tim, then for me, I've made a major difference in somebody's life and that's more empowering learning from a brother or sister than being told what to do and that's my end goal 
Okay. Thanks very much, Gav, for sharing that with us. Really appreciate you giving us some audio to, to listen to that hasn't can I, been Can I also polished. add, I'm yeah. a bit tricky because I went home for a holiday with my partner and we were at my mate's place and about 2.30 or 3 a.m. I went outside and just recorded the, the, cricket. the, the, the sound. So I like <laughs> injecting that little bit of myself into that as well. So he was recorded in a motel room and it's got the sounds of home as well. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, I really like it. It's like we're actually at the retreat with you guys. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much, Gavin. And let us know when it's going to go to air. We'll, um, we'll hop, we'll send it out on the audio craft list. Um, Maddie is here with us. Thank you so much for coming up from the heartland of community radio that is Melbourne um, to join us here in Sydney this afternoon. There's a lot of community radio people out there, I know, and a lot of Melbourneers um, have come up, um, Victorians have come up too. And I actually think this event is a really good chance for community radio volunteers to come together and support each other because a lot of the time we're very isolated. Um, we often even don't even see each other in our radio stations because we're all doing different shows at different times. So we're going to hear a piece now from Maddie's award-winning feature, what we talk about when we talk about music, uh, made with the participants of the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre's music group in Melbourne. So I'm just going to play a little excerpt from the finalised doco for you now. The song that Peter chose, uh, it's about freedom. I'm from PNG and Peter is from West Papua. This song is sung by uh, the famous singer in Papua New Guinea. His name is Josh Talek. It's a meaningful song. And this song is sung for the freedom. And no one had the voice of uh, our brother, West Papuans, so... Just to like sing this song. It's like a cry. He wants the people and the government and the world to know that our West Papuans crying out for peace and crying for freedom. When they kill them, still they cry out for peace and they cry out for freedom. This song is so emotional. When we sing, I was in tears. Yeah. Yeah, I challenge you not to get that stuck in your head after listening to it um, as many times as Maddie and I have actually listened to it. Um, so, Maddie, that initial project with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre's music group in Melbourne um, has led to further projects together. Uh, can you explain the significance of, of that as a, an outcome of the collaborative storytelling style which you delved into? Yeah, I... What is collaboration is sort of a you know a personal thing, and um, we've all got different styles or different values we go into making audio or radio with. So, as a personal value, a collaborative approach was integral uh, to working with this group of musicians. And in order to answer like what the significance of leading to follow-up projects was, is kind of embedded in the value of a collaborative approach to begin with. Um, the original piece we just heard an excerpt from was part of the training, uh, the National Features and Documentary training through Community Radio. Um, but in e even in order to get that pitch together, um, I had a lot of discussions with the volunteers uh, facilitating that music group and really asking difficult questions of one another. Difficult because it reveals our own sort of implications and our own power in this intention to, to create a radio work um, with other people's stories. Um, and so these discussions were often around like, what, what can we both get out of it? What I was interested in, how is community radio a useful tool in the hands of the community? Um, and the things they wanted to get out of any sort of collaboration were specifically recordings of their music and uh, an introduction to radio in Melbourne. And they asked questions like, will we be paid? 
And how excruciating is it to say no simply because it's, it's a part of community radio? Later on down the track, um, through that documentary training, the producers were paid and then I was able to pay them. But sort of in, in those initial discussions, we weren't, you know, we didn't know that. Um, and also that I was the recipient of the training and they were asking like, oh, will we get the training too? And it's like, well, I suppose we can utilise how I'm positioned in this relationship um, to pass on the skills that you want to learn. Um, and so with all of those uh, decisions and all of that negotiation established at the beginning, that sort of set the values that created a process. We didn't have a process in mind for how it was going to be created, but with those guiding principles, um, we had some sense of, you know, right and wrong or appropriate or not or valuable and um, and giving back or, you know, personal radio blah. Um, and so what's kind of... Uh, what's kind of invisible or inaudible in in radio, perhaps, or in in this, is sort of the methods or the processes behind it. Um, so, to begin with, I was mostly recording the music and um, and you know some of the the conversations of the group, but mostly focused on recording the music. And I was realizing that um, for the group to have that conversation with the radio audience themselves rather than inserting in my narration or direction of what we're listening to, um, that explanation of the music would sort of need to occur in the rehearsal and it wasn't really for me to interrupt their rehearsal time with explicit radio questions. So that was part of the negotiation is balancing how can um, more explicit explanations of music come out without me... Uh, you know, asking really blunt or direct questions and also, you know, not knowing which questions to ask. Um, it's, it kind of needed to be an invitation to... Um, I guess putting the question to them, what is it that you want a radio audience to, to learn or to know um, or to hear? And that was a pretty abstract invitation until I was able to edit some recordings together and that was sort of the tail end of I guess the chapters of this piece were based on the different songs um, and so this song Freedom and the main man Peter who directed this song in the group he um, I edited this song together and you know the music sort of fades in and out and it had Peter's voice um, explaining who he was and, and sort of what the song was about. And when I played it back to the group, that's really when they grasped, ah, this is a shiftable object and we can curate that representation. Uh, more of this, less of that, bit of that over here. Like that, the moment they heard it was just a boom in their involvement in the project. Um, and then Peter and um, the woman from... PNG, uh, her voice or her contribution was part of that feedback of like, okay, we've got this, but it's important that people also know this bit. Um, so that was sort of an additional layer in it. And so in, in when the piece was finished and broadcast, um, there were a few threads remaining that hadn't quite been achieved or maybe reciprocated in that relationship and one of them was sort of my awareness that um, the award had my name on it. It didn't have their name on it and um, that, that was really difficult but then we spoke about it in the, in the next rehearsal after the award ceremony and they said, oh no, like it's, it's okay, like you did the editing and you did the technical bits but that enabled this, like that enabled us to express this <laughs> um, but I was still sort of aware of okay what where are these pathways for community self-representation and authorship that that doesn't have to be framed by the radio host and so the follow-up project um, was 
a cl very collaborative project in its own right in many levels. Um, it involved a lot of different radio stations and community organisations, but it was essentially short story making for folk from new communities, asylum seeker, refugee backgrounds, to get the training and the use of the equipment to, to make those stories themselves and have that mentorship. So they created those connections to a radio station. They, they had mentors, they had a peer group and they were able to go out with recorders and, and then be the reporters in their own communities um, as well. So that had, sorry, we're probably going over time. <laughs> that had um, four participants from that music group but it also started to engage um, maybe folk who have uh, maybe no longer seeking asylum have got permanent residency or folk who are a little bit different in their, like not in those sort of, those labels but who still felt that their voice wasn't being heard and really significant experiences of racism weren't necessarily being heard. And then I think an important thing to maybe conclude on this project was that a lot of the ways of measuring um, impact and outcomes weren't radio. We weren't measuring radio as the outcome. So the fact that um, one of the asylum seeker musicians was able to use their audio piece in a case for permanent residency, like that it, it has that utility to it. Um, and I think if we just look at music as an aesthetic thing and if we just look at radio as an aesthetic thing, then we're kind of missing this huge nature of invisible sort of meaning and function and utility that we can, you know, breathe that life into something. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, well put, Maddie, well put. Um, I, I just thought we'd finish with um, one final piece of audio, Maddie. It's actually feedback from the project that you are working on. Um, do you want to just introduce it to us? I think you had a really good line about anonymity and invisibility. Yeah, uh, FBI were kind enough, or all the best on FBI were kind enough to do uh, an episode on this project and they interviewed myself and Jess Fairfax who is the co-director uh, of this project. Um, and what was very apparent to me was the absence of, like, you know, the, again, the questions are being directed to us as the hosts, as the media makers, rather than the new media makers we've just been training. So... Um, we deliberately enveloped their perspectives into this rebroadcast of their pieces to, I guess, perpetuate that, that position that they can be the producers, they can be the people being interviewed about their work rather than just us. And although a lot of these folk can't be named because of their legal status, um, I feel like the power of audio maybe over written media is that... The name, we might never, not ever know the name, but you can't say that his voice is invisible. One of the most important thing for me in this radio project is uh, the transfer. There is some kind of transfer in my life that make me from listener to participant. One of the most important thing for me is in the community context, especially in Australia. The you know when communities become very active, you know the their contribution to the bigger society is very very uh, remarkable. So in that regard, my my whole participation is in the framework of the community. That's that's also one of the most important experience for me. For example, I'm in the asylum community, I'm in the Ethiopian community, you know, I'm in the PBS community and the Victorian multicultural uh, community, you see. So we can call it also the media community, the music community, you know, these all communities. And this is also very important point in the community framework. In the community framework, I can be active participant just to have, you know, a win-win. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for that, Maddie. And um, we're going to turn it over to you now. Um, we really like to welcome questions and comments. I believe there's a roving mic around somewhere. Um, and if you have any ideas too that you'd want to share and you want some of our panellists' um, advice or information, that would be really great. So stick your hand up in the air if you've got a question and um, the mic will come round. We're just using the mic because uh, we're recording. Um, so obviously all those pieces that we just heard are, are quite edited and you, um, you know, you guys put a lot of thought into, out of all the tape you get, um, what gets played. And I just um, wanted to know different techniques that you use to involve um, the people that you, you speak to and, and that you work with in the editing process and how you go about kind of involving them in that stuff that happens after the interview. Um, you mean involving the people we interview? Yeah, I mean, do they have any um, do they have any involvement after the the interview in in the rest of like shaping the rest of the story? Oh, I wish actually that's a good idea for next time. <laughs> um, but for me, I um, I use a lot of sound, but I use this whatever's being said is what's given the idea to create the soundscape to tell that story. Um, like for example, the Richard Green in Redfern. That piece goes for about two minutes or so, and he, like, it was really emotional um, with him interviewing him because I felt like I was there that day when the ships came to the shore, and you know he talks about um, you know or get the women, get the children, you know hide, hide quick, see them ships there, see them ships there, and it really you know took you to that scene, like the way he spoke, and yeah, it was just the words and the sound, same thing in Marrickville, you know, I used a, um, you know, the tight, what do they call those boxes you used to have? Oh, yeah, the, the, the wind-up box. Yeah, yeah, the wind-up box. When I was hearing, you know, people talking about, oh, I've been here for so many years, or when I was living here, it reminded me of that sound, like, that's the sound I heard listening to those stories was the wind-up box, like, just to help, yeah. I think for me, in terms of the uh, story I'm doing with the three people I'm doing it with, I let them know that um, anything, if af afterwards or during the interview, I, I let them know or ask them if they want that included into it and just drill the, I guess, the fact that I want them to let everyone know as much as possible as well. But with, with the um, editing as well, I'll send it back to them or let them come in because it, it's a work in progress at the moment so they have um kind of they're included in the um process as in well. the in the whittling yeah. away yeah and they'll also help me kind of finish it put it together as well maddie i feel like i kind of spoke to that in the long story um but yeah just engaging them by having that feedback loop of playing it um getting sort of maybe permission for what was there and then what they wanted altered or um, added to. And I guess and this is quite a different technique to what we're probably taught as journalists a lot of the time, which is you got, you got the power, you got the control. This is where we're actually doing a feedback loop, which doesn't happen very often. Anything else from anybody? Stick your hand up. I mean, I'm interested to hear if you have ever, like, had experiences that have been particularly challenging or where you felt like things got off track or went awry and then how you kind of corrected course in that because I think it can happen to all of us and I'm interested to hear if you've got particular experiences and what you did. Uh, one of the difficulties was, yeah, editing and um, when some of the members were arranging with me to meet outside the music group rehearsals to record additional material. I was with one of the fellas and, and some others and he, you know, spoke for like 10 minutes of all the things explaining the music and, and what playing that music meant and the politics around it and the persecution of West Papuans. Um, and I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to have to like tell him it. No, like I'm going to have to be the one saying, no, that can't go to air, no one, you know, that's not going to be heard. And I was sitting there, you know, wondering how I'm going to say that. And at the end of his conversation, uh, at the end of his story, he said, oh, I suppose, you know, not all of that's going to fit, is it? Because he understood the dynamic of the piece and that he was 
one part in a group as well. So he had that own sense of balance, um, self and group. In relation to my story, I think I, I advised them and I asked them if they wanted to be uh, named. And also I think um, any other organisations or retreat members or family or community or organisations like that that they name or talk about, just double-checking that it's okay for them to be included in the story as well, just to um, be respectful of people's stories and who and who doesn't want to be involved in it. Mm. Is this some sensitive nature? Yep. Got a couple more people. Have you found at all that people you're working with um, have like a strong sonic sense of how they want to be represented? Like, is there any any of that playback where people are like, no, no, I, I would be a much faster beat than that, or you know, like like listening to the the kind of sonic elements that you've added into people? Yeah, has there been much of a response to that as well? I guess. Um, I don't know. Not when, when I you know I just press record. I don't say much. I just ask a couple of questions. I like to let people talk and. You know, later on, revisit that. Um, but I, if on arranged interviews, I do kind of say, look, you know, just make sure you're happy with everything you're saying, because it will go to air. <laughs> you know, if you don't have any regrets. But um, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> For the projects I've been working on, that arose more in the second project, which was about skill training. Um, and so in the final feedback, the audio we heard there, um, the man was wearing the headphones, holding the recorder, um, recording, you know, we we're both sitting there in the room, we had a chat about it, right? Um, you know, this is going to air, what is it that you want to communicate in terms of what you experienced through the project? Um, and so we, we, there were quite a few kind of stops and starts in that, um, just because of mic level and stuff, but it was cool in that sense that it was a training course, that um, it, it was a learning opportunity, a further learning opportunity. And, and with the people I was interviewing, um, it's more or less... It's really, it's really beautiful because they fully trust what you're going to do with the um, audio. And also, as, as we're interviewing, we'll say, OK, well, that'll be better you know, as we're putting the um, story together, the final edit and all of that. So generally they, they just hand their, their story over, their voiceover, knowing hopefully that you'll do the best job and if you don't, they'll spear you. <laughs> did, you did you ever, um, you know, there might be the element of you playing these people some work that you've done in the past? Yeah, so they can kinda... yeah totally. Um, like I was saying, I was involved in a conference before and also I... You interview someone and they, it opens up the community as well and in terms of the, um, the positive community, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, they invited me to um, record a launch for, I think it was National Aboriginal HIV Awareness Week and again because I broadcast that as well, um, edited it and whatever, then they contacted me and more people wanted to be involved in sharing stories as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that element of building trust and building the relationship. Mm, Exactly, follow-up projects, yep. Got another question. I think we've got time for a couple more questions. Hi. Um, My name's Lana. I am a radio maker and also in my professional life I'm a storyteller and I teach storytelling methodologies for social justice. And what I noticed with the three of you is you use pretty traditional community development frameworks in terms of going into your projects and you're working around with groups of people that could be considered marginalised or um, have less of a voice. And I'm wondering whether you ever consider storytelling methodology, if there's some kind of particular outcome you're looking for in terms of the stories that are being told and what you want the community response to be. Because as a radio maker, I find it's very different from my storytelling because with radio, I feel like I'm more of a story catcher. I'm catching somebody else's story. And so trying to cross those boundaries or be really considerate of those boundaries between 
the stories that I catch and the way that I can use story and story methodology to further social justice causes for marginalised communities. I might respond to that first. Um, maybe rather my equivalent to you being a storyteller is me being a musician um, and so my focus in the people I work with is they're musicians. Um, they're musicians first of all and so I've been deliberately positioning music as in a way that maybe you're attentive to how we position storytelling as a framework for uh, just a, a flow that necessarily requires the community to be the author of that in order to have that story for radio. Um, maybe in, if a different aspect to one of the programs was um, Jess Fairfax really taught the, uh, the storytelling component to our pieces and the deconstruction of story, especially for... Asylum Seekers was really important. I remember one of the trainees saying, ah, story, like, I thought it'd have to be real personal. Um, I can do anything. And, like, especially for that community where uh, there is a very strict story they tell about who they are um, and storytelling being, like, deconstructing story as a way of uh, choosing a new story or a very um, suppressed story that they don't they don't get to um, speak. Um, yeah, the one thing I love about um, this device here and the whole you know idea of getting this sound out from here is you know putting used to it. And I don't really like you know the labels of marginalised and this and that. But I just think you know if you're going to open up the airwaves, you're going to switch on the mic, if you're going to press record. Um, you know, let it be something, you know, that's, that needs to be heard, something that's important because, you know, a lot of people don't know until they hear it or, you know, unaware, uh, unaware of certain things. So when it comes to these stories and, and telling, um, I think, yeah, it's just an important thing to do and, um, and important to tell important things or um, stuff that needs to be heard that people need to know about. Yeah. I think that's the same for me as well. Um being in radio for a fair while, half my lifetime, it, you become aware of who, who and what, I guess, what needs to be heard. And you become very jaded or very... You, be, you become over anything that is promoting itself, so you tend to just open up the channel for people to come and you're just there to open up the channel and have them be able to say, to say what they want to say, more or less, through their storytelling. Have that authentic voice. I think that also comes down to questions at the very beginning of any project or interview. Is like, whose story is this? Who's it for? Who's going to benefit? Who's telling it? Who's controlling it? Who gets to choose where it goes? Who owns it? And it's, I guess it's come up in a lot of sessions today that it's not necessarily about having answers to those questions and there aren't right and wrong answers, they're all contextual, but at least asking those questions and being self-aware of your own um, implication in producing representations when you're in a position of media making. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to make about the consciousness raising that we have among ourselves about where we position ourselves, but also the idea there that... um, you know, we aren't, we aren't social workers. A lot of us are radio makers and journalists and we are opening the airwaves and we're kind of doing it, you know, in the best way that we can a lot of the time. I think Kate's coming to tell us we've got time up. Time up. Thank you so much for having us, Kate. And thank you to the wonderful panellists this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Audio Craft Conference Series. We've put links to the radio works you've heard in this podcast on our website, audiocraft.com.au. While you're there, have a listen to some of our other sessions and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AudiocraftConf so we can keep you in the loop about all of the awesome things that we have planned. This series was produced by Miles Martignoni and Jessica Binneth.